Well, let's take our Bibles now and get down uh, to some preaching. And so we'll turn to Acts chapter number 18. Would you please? Acts chapter number 18. In our series here in the book of Acts, a church for his name, declaring his glory. And um, it's been exciting just seeing what the Lord has did then and what his desire is to do now. So we're in Acts chapter 18. We'll finish up chapter 18 tonight, God willing. And so let's begin our reading tonight in Acts 18 and verse number 18. Strengthening all disciples. Strengthening all disciples. Strong churches are built by strengthened disciples. And so we'll look at that here tonight in Acts chapter number 18. Well, thank God for those that were saved today. Amen. That was a real blessing too. Verse 18, and after Paul, and Paul rather, after this tarried there yet a good while, that's in reference to Corinth, and then took his leave of the brethren and sailed thence into Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila, having shorn his head in Sincrea, for he had a vow. And he came to Ephesus and left them there, talking about Aquila and Priscilla, But he himself entered into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they desired him to tarry longer time with them, he consented not, but bade them farewell, saying, I must by all means keep this feast that cometh in Jerusalem. But I will return again unto you if God will. And he sailed from Ephesus. And when he had landed at Caesarea and gone up and saluted the church and went down to Antioch, that would, of course, be his sending sending church. So he saluted the church. We'll come back to that in the message. And then he went down to Antioch. And after he had spent some time there, he departed. So now we conclude the second missionary journey. And just like that, he begins his third missionary journey. It says, he departed and went over all the country of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening all the disciples. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. And when he was disposed or determined to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who when he was come, helped them much, which had believed through grace. For he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly, showing by the Scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Strengthening all disciples, that's what leads to strong churches. May God bless the reading of his word. As you're seated, we'll get into the message here this evening. I'm sure you're like this. I like to see things move forward with great strength and improvement. Saw a Corvette on the way into church tonight. Wow. Red, beautiful Corvette. I don't know what year. I don't know all the specs on it. All I know is it'll move if it had to, my friend. Strong. 
you could tell that somebody had put some time and effort into that, a fast car. I love to see the improvement that comes to maybe a ball team. You know, maybe your young, your young person played football back in the fall or maybe uh, basketball, uh, and you see where their team was when they started and now where they are at the end. That's, that's encouraging to watch that. Maybe you watched them play elementary basketball. Isn't that entertaining? Doesn't matter what goal they're shooting at, it's always entertaining. Yep. And so, but you do, you see some starting to get it, you know, the points uh, going up. Well, that's exciting to see things improving. I love to watch a student uh, who maybe is struggling, had been struggling, apply themselves and learn and improve and see their grades, you know, go up. That is possible. Yeah, see improvement there, but to, you know, to see where students are when you first start off maybe in a semester and they have no clue uh, you know what you're talking about, but then by the end of the semester, if they stick with it, then they, they're, they're at least following you a little bit better. That's the plan. Yep. But you know what I want to address tonight, of course, is what our text is addressing, and that would be this matter of strong churches, strong, strengthened disciples, people who are firm in what they believe and firm in their obedience to God. And in here tonight, there are people that are at varying levels of uh, spirit, their spiritual walk. Uh, there are people who have been saved within the last year, people who have just recently been baptized, people who are new members of this church, and uh, some that, as I prayed earlier, uh, Brother McDonald really encouraged me this morning as I was coming in. He said we had 61 on the bus. Is that right? 60. 60 uh, on bus number four and uh, two families, right? Three families. See, the numbers are going up all the time. That's how you do it in the ministry. That's right. Three families, three families, uh, dad and mom that rode the bus and came in. That's exciting. That's exciting. And you know, they come in and maybe they don't understand everything. They don't maybe uh, know where the books of the Bible are and, and some that maybe you've known for years. But isn't it exciting to watch as people come and they get a hunger for God's Word and they begin to grow? This morning I had um, uh, Brother Clarence Harmon come in. We were going through our uh, new members class uh, notebook. And uh, how many of you in the new members class? Let's see, uh, have some scattered throughout the congregation here tonight. I believe we had right around 30 in there, maybe ministerially speaking at least, something like that. 30, 40, yep, yeah, 41. It's still going up, Brother Rick's He's counting. We're going up higher. A real church planner right here, so that's good. Yep. So anyways, we had a good time in there. Today we uh, taught him on doctrine. Had Brother Clarence uh, Harmon come in. He's been a, uh, a deacon here for over 40 years. It's a real blessing. Brother Harmon, where are you at? Where are you located? Uh, right over here, Brother Harmon's a real blessing, a soul winner and a deacon and, and a real encouragement to this preacher, I'll tell you that. And, and so anyways, he came in there to tell us and, and the new members what a deacon does and how he's a servant and tries to help and serves widows and serves other capacities. And so anyways, Brother Harmon, you, you said something that I wanted to share tonight. He said to the new believers, kind of right out of the gate as he's addressing them, he said, now look, you're not going to learn everything that you need to know all at one time. Did you catch that? I, something to that effect, he said, you're not going to learn in one setting everything that you're going to need to know. And what he was saying to them as new believers is, you know, keep coming and, and watch as God just teaches you and teaches you along the way. I thought that was uh, ideal, and that's true for all of us, isn't it? 
Um, we were visiting Miss McBee and, and we were talking and I forget how we got on this topic, but sharing how, you know, you just kind of have to take things uh, as they come, step by step, decision by decision and such. And uh, you make progress and talking about even working with people and making progress. And, and um, I think something that maybe her dad, uh, Miss McBee, forgive me for going blank on who shared this with you, but how that, you know, a tree, when you're cutting down a tree, it doesn't get cut down in all one whack. One swing of the axe. Now, some of you are saying, now I can do it. Yep. That's a twig. I'm talking about a tree, okay? No, it's several swings of that axe, you know, is it, as you're beginning to chip away at it, okay? And that's how life is. You don't get it all in one download. It's not like, you know, as these new members are coming in that we're giving them some kind of a, uh, you know, a zip drive or something where they can just download everything they're going to need to know and somehow it gets, all gets in here. No, it's going to come as they attend Sunday school classes and as they stay faithful in Sunday school and church and Sunday nights and as we teach and preach through the Bible and they're learning Proverbs and Wednesday nights. Listen, there's, there's lessons all of us learn along the way. We're strengthened by that. And that's, that's what Paul was doing. He was concerned about these believers growing and being strengthened. So let's consider a few things tonight about what makes for strong churches and how that uh, our church can be strong? Uh, what do we want to be, weak? Absolutely not. Want to be strong. And what do you want to be in your life, in, in your spiritual life? I, I would imagine you'd want your spiritual life to be uh, described in these terms, strong and growing and healthy and productive. Isn't that right for all of us? Yeah, certainly should be. So let's look here tonight and pay attention to a few of these things at this great passage uh, after 18 months of ministry in Corinth, Paul followed God's leadership. He followed God's leadership to bring the second missionary journey to a completion. And so he left Corinth. He's going to Ephesus, going across the Aegean Sea. And the Bible says he has taken a vow. Now, it doesn't tell us anything about the vow, whether it's a Nazarite vow or whether it's just a Thanksgiving vow. But one way or the other, he was expressing his dependence upon God, his thanksgiving to God. And in no way, mind you, in no way was he uh, violating the doctrine of salvation by grace through faith apart from works. And yet he was a Jew still, you know, by nationality. And so he said in, in the book, to, in the letter to the Corinthians, to the Jews, I became as Jew. So whatever is going on here, he took a vow, he cut his hair. Okay, that's what the Bible tells us. And so then he's going to make his way and it seems as though he's in a hurry. This preacher was on the move, and he's on the move. He's going to Jerusalem, and so, but on the way, he goes to Ephesus, and I'll speak a little bit more about Ephesus here in a moment. But while he's there, he went to the synagogue, and as we read, he preached to them there, and the people wanted him to stay longer, but he, he said, you know, I've got to keep moving. I'm moving on, and he's going to Jerusalem because he was keeping the feast. Obviously, that had something to do with his vow that he was taking. The bottom line is, is that he was moving according to God's will. The Bible says that also there he landed in Caesarea, and then he went to the church. Okay, now, is that in Caesarea? I, I would say because he's on his way to Jerusalem, that reference there, the church would be in reference to the church that's in Jerusalem. And so it says that he went to the church there, and then it says in verse 22 that he went down to Antioch. So what do you mean he went down? I thought Antioch was north of Jerusalem. It is. It's straight north. But Jerusalem is at a high elevation. 
And so really, anytime you see in the Bible when they went up to Jerusalem, what they're saying is they went up in elevation to Jerusalem. And thus when he goes to Antioch, he's going down. It's down in elevation even though he's going north. You all right with that? And when we say, well, I'm going up to Kansas City, right? We're going up. Uh, we're not thinking about elevation. Of course, we're not thinking about elevation here, right? We're just, anyways, uh, but they did, okay? So I would say he's probably saying in good contact with this church that cared about what was going on, this very significant, very important church there in Jerusalem. Now, listen, it, there's a lot that we can learn here about Paul and his missionary philosophy. He's keeping a good relationship with his supporting churches. It is very important that missionaries do that. That they stay in good communication and good contact with their supporting and, of course, their sending church. Well, it says that he came to Antioch. That would be his sending church. He reports to them. I spoke to the new members this morning. I said, you know, we are independent, fundamental Baptists, but that doesn't mean we don't have a relationship with other churches that are also independent, fundamental Baptist churches. And I see in the New Testament how that Paul, yes, he had a sending church that did an immense amount for him, but he also was blessed by the support from the church in Corinth and in Macedonia, rather, in Philippi. And so there was others that were on board with what was going on in the life of Paul. And so in any case, that's what's taking place. Well, the Bible then says that as he's on his missionary journey, in verse number 23, that he spent some time there. We don't know exactly how long, but then it says he departed and went over all the country of Galatia and Phrygia in order. And then the Bible says this, he was strengthening the disciples. So he went back to some of the locations where he had been before. And the idea of strengthen means to call someone to become stronger, obviously, but to be more firm, to be more firm, to be unchanging in their attitude or belief. And so what he's doing is he's trying to help them to be strong in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So then what takes place is the, the scene shifts to Ephesus. So that brings us now, if you would, to verse number 24. And here it says, A certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, that he was, uh, he was come to Ephesus. Okay, so let me, let me just have your attention here a minute. On his first missionary journey, Paul basically went there into uh, the region of Galatia in that area, just a little bit uh, east of there, and uh, Lystra, Derby, that area. And then in the second missionary journey, he went up into Macedonia, which would be Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea. He went south into Corinth, and then he just briefly was in Ephesus. The third journey that we come to tonight as he's on this journey is largely going to be centered on Ephesus. Ephesus was such a strategic city. In fact, uh, let me give you a few facts about Ephesus. In fact, he's going to be there for three years. Okay, we're not going to preach about him being there for three years, but he was there for three years. 300,000 people living in Ephesus. It was the capital of the Roman province of Asia, Asia Minor there, most important commercial city. Uh, we'll see in chapter 19 as we get more into it that there's a temple that's dedicated to Diana. Uh, Artemis is the other name. It was a huge temple for over 400 feet by over 200 feet, 100 columns and over 40 that were over 50 feet tall rather. And so some of you I know that have been to Ephesus uh, have seen some of the ruins that are there. It's incredible. In fact, it was one of the seven wonders of the world. They had uh, that temple built around what maybe was a meteorite or something along those lines, but they believed it was a sacred image that fell from heaven 
And they counted it as a god. And so, in any case, that is the city of Ephesus. You know, we're inclined to think that Paul did, um, did ministry in cities where people were just, just eager to be saved and forsake their idolatry. But I'm telling you, he worked and labored in some cities that were very wicked and turned away from God. There's no doubt about that. And so, yet the power of the gospel. Well, let's turn our attention now. The scene is being set for Paul's ministry in Ephesus. But in, in uh, verse number 24, the Bible introduces us to a man named Apollos who came to Ephesus and he was from Alexandria. Alexandria was a very important city. In fact, it's the second most important city in the Roman Empire. It was a huge city, a population of uh, 600,000. And so it was a very large city from which uh, that um, Apollos was from. Many of you know much about there, Alexandria in, the, in northern Africa, in, in Egypt. And so, very significant town founded by Alexander the Great, as were many cities in that area uh, since he conquered the world in a short order of time. An educational center, very uh, educated people living there, a library they record of over 700,000 uh, books or volumes there in that library. A huge, huge library there in Alexandria. Of course, he was named in honor of Alexander the Great. And so, uh, the significant thing here is that there was a large population of Jewish people living in this place of Alexandria. So, Apollos, obviously, was one of them. Now, look what else the Bible says about him in verse number 24. It says he was an eloquent man. An eloquent man. That would have to do with the fact that he was well-learned and most likely, obviously, that he could speak well and communicate then the Bible also says this about him. It says that he was mighty in the scriptures. He was mighty in the scriptures. That literally means, the word is uh, the word from which we get our word dynamite. He was a dynamo, we might say. He was a dynamo in the Old Testament. Uh, in other words, he was well-versed. He knew his Bible, the Bible that he had. He, he knew it very well. Can I just uh, park here a minute? And say that you and I need to be well-versed in the Bible. To be mighty in the scriptures. It's said of D.L. Moody that though he knew little about science or philosophy or literature in general, he did know one book, that being the Bible. He knew that book well. Listen to what R.A. Torrey said. He said this, 99 in 100 Christians are merely playing at Bible study. And therefore, 99 in 100 Christians are mere weaklings when it comes uh, to Bible study, and thus when they could be giants, both in their Christian life and in their service. 99 in 100. I'm not sure how uh, true that holds, but I'd say it's close to right um, that many are just playing at Bible study. Listen, we need to be students of the Bible reading the Bible. It may be this year you need to increase your Bible reading. God dealt with me uh, at the end of last year in, in that same way to say basically this, increase, don't decrease, don't say the same, increase your Bible intake. You know what? It's not hurt me any. Yep, that's right. It's not hurt at all. It's been helpful. And so he was a Bible student. It says here also that he, um, this man, verse 25, was instructed in the way of the Lord. He was instructed in the way of the Lord, taught in the way of the Lord. Now, 
Uh, what does that mean? Well, most likely it means he knows about Jesus when it refers to the Lord here in the way of the Lord. And so uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that here in just a moment. But he's instructed in the way of the Lord. And then it says this, being fervent in spirit, in the spirit. Do you see that? Being fervent in the spirit. So here's a man. Here's a man who was, uh, who was we might say it this way, on fire. He was on fire. The word fervent means boiling. He was uh, hot. And so he was on fire. And so he came with great zeal, great passion. It says that he was fervent in the spirit and spake and taught diligently. The word diligently there means accurately or strictly. He spake, taught diligently the things of the Lord. But here's what it says. He was limited in his understanding. It says that he knew only the baptism of John. And so he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when they, uh, Quill and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them, expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly, gave him more information, kind of filled in the blanks for him. And thus he went on his preaching ministry. Listen, we have no record that he was baptized or that he had to be saved. Evidently this man was already saved. Evidently this man was already baptized. Why? Well, you look at chapter 19 and verses 1 through 7, and we'll come to that another time. Paul runs into some disciples that were there in uh, Ephesus that they knew only the baptism of John and somewhat similar, but they had to be baptized. Apollos, there's no record. Luke's pretty good about recording things. Have you noticed that? If a person is saved, Luke will record it. If a person gets baptized, Luke will record it. He takes note of those things. So evidently, there was no need for Apollos to be baptized. You say, well, preacher, what was he lacking in his understanding? I'm lacking in my understanding of what he was lacking in his understanding. <laughs> How's that? Is that fair enough? One commentator said it this way, Commentators have had a field day trying to figure this out. So I don't want to pretend like I'm going to come here and have it all figured out as to what he had missing there. I do like what uh, Warren Worsby said. He said, Apollos' message was not inaccurate. It was not insincere. It was just incomplete. He didn't have it all there in, uh, in, in its purest form. In, in a lot of ways, it's like his map was out of date. Have you ever tried to navigate around a city? And uh, maybe you're using a GPS, but now there are new streets of that city that have not been added to your GPS system. Or maybe you're, maybe you're old school and you use a, a map, like a hard copy, like on a printed page map. Yeah, like where you have to use coordinates and stuff to find stuff. And so you've got an old, a map and maybe that map's outdated. Listen. It's not that what you have is not right. It may just not be totally up to date yet because of all the new developments. So here the Bible says that Apollos, he was a man that was fervent in spirit. He was teaching the things that, that had to do with the Lord and that would most likely be in reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he had heard John preaching. Uh, there's all kinds of speculation about what his, his uh, connection was with John. Did he hear him preach directly? Did somebody go from uh, Jerusalem down? We just don't have all those blanks. All we know is that he knew the baptism of John. Okay, now I want you to hold your place here in chapter 18. Let's just turn back right quick to chapter 1, if you would, chapter 1 of Acts. And uh, we'll just look at one verse here in verse number 5. It says that he knew the baptism of John. 
For John truly baptized with water, Jesus speaking, he says, wait for the promise of the Father in verse 4, which uh, saith he, you shall hear of me, have heard of me. And remember his disciples are asking, when's the kingdom going to come? And so, and Jesus is referring and answering them here later on and into the rest of this passage. And so is saying to them, for truly, John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. So there's the baptism of John. What was the baptism of John? Well, it was the baptism of repentance. It was the baptism showing that they had repented of sin, but it was preparatory. It was anticipatory. It was looking ahead. It was saying the Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. Now, come back to chapter 18. Uh, because he taught the things of the Lord and that fervently, and he did not have to be saved. I do believe that Apollos was a saved man. And I would say, now I know this is an argument from Silas because the Bible doesn't say whether or not he was baptized, but it does not say that he was baptized. Evidently, he didn't have to be baptized as the others did in chapter 19. Now that's going to make more sense as we get to chapter 19. These individuals here had heard of the baptism of John, but they needed to be baptized. Apollos evidently did not have to be baptized. And so what we need to understand is that this was most definitely a very transitional period of time. As they're going basically from the Old Testament into the New Testament, it's no wonder that all the blanks weren't filled in yet. And so this was highly transitional. And so here's a man who knew Jesus came and that Jesus was the Messiah. He knew that he had died and was buried and rose again. But evidently, he did not know about the spirit baptism. He did not know about Pentecost and God's program there. And so it wasn't that he had to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Evidently, his baptism was right and sufficient. But evidently, he needed to be clarified or he needed some clarification rather, sorry. And he needed to be updated on what the program was now. Again, he was not inaccurate. It was just he was not totally filled in just yet. You know, this is kind of encouraging here tonight. It's possible to be saved and not know everything that you need to know. It is possible to be saved and not know everything that you need to know. You were saved with really basic knowledge that Jesus died in your place, was buried and rose again. That's all you needed to know to be saved, that, that you were a sinner and there was no way for you to save yourself. But that's not the end. That's just the beginning learning what you needed to know. And so, sure, this was a transitional period and whatever the confusion was there, well, today I'd say there's still confusion about baptism and there's still confusion about uh, the Holy Spirit of God and the gifts that are there. We'll come more to that in chapter number 19. But in any case, it's uh, very clear here that Apollos was, was a man who had great potential. Listen to this now. He's a man who had great potential. He had great zeal, but he just simply did not know all the benefits of salvation, and he didn't know the things pertaining to the Spirit of God. He knew the things pertaining to the baptism of John, but Jesus said, John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence, and so evidently he needed the blanks to be filled in. So what happened? Well, on that day, he was preaching with great zeal and enthusiasm, fervent in the Spirit, about uh, the Messiah. 
And there's a couple sitting there listening to him. A couple known as Aquila and Priscilla. Saved individuals. They listened to his message. Have you ever listened to uh, somebody's message and think, oh, they need a little help? I've preached some messages that I know needed a little help. Yeah, for sure. I look back on old notes and think about burning them. <laughs> yeah. Well, they needed somebody, he needed somebody to help him. You know what they didn't do? They didn't stand up in the middle of the crowd then and say, hey, you need to sit down. You don't know all that you need to know. They didn't embarrass him. They didn't bring it up publicly because if they brought it up publicly there, that could have been very confusing to all the other Jews that were there that he was trying to convince. Now, he was dead straight on about Jesus being the Messiah, but he just didn't have everything else that was there. So the Bible tells us that they took him aside. Most likely, they had him over for lunch. They didn't have him for lunch. They had him over. They talked to him. The Bible says that they expounded unto him the way of the Lord more clearly, more perfectly. They explained some things to him. I uh, remember my uncle, I mention him quite often. Um, he had an impact on my life. But I never forget the day him telling us in his testimony. I always told his testimony every Thursday night, whether a tent revival or in a, in a church service. I always told about his salvation, but of course also always told about his call to preach. He said when God called him to preach, you know, he was uh, in a preaching meeting there in Arkansas, and I believe Angel Martinez, it was in Ar I believe it was in Arkansas, I know it was Angel Martinez, was preaching. And he had on a, like a flamboyant uh, suit that only evangelists can wear. You know what I'm talking about? Some of those evangelists, I mean, this is back in the, probably the 60s, somewhere right in there, and so I mean it was a loud suit. A loud suit. I forget what color it was, but I'm, I'm telling you, it was, it was a bright color. And so he's preaching there and eloquent, and God gets a hold of my uncle's heart, and he walks down the aisle. And my uncle, I mean, I hadn't been saved a real long time, and he was wearing blue jeans and a T-shirt and walked down the aisle and, and shook the hand of uh, Angel Martinez and and said, Mr. Martinez, I believe that God is calling me to preach. And Mr. Martinez, in that real loud evangelist suit, looked at him and shook his hand, and he said this to him, always look sharp, young man, always look sharp. <laughs> and so that, uh, that inspired him, and so he thought, if I, God's called me to preach, I've got to look as sharp as I can. And he said, every evangelist I know has a singer, you know, that travels with him and leads the singing while he does the preaching. And so he's had, he had a friend that was also saved, and he said, here, you come and be my singer. And that guy had never led singing in his life, but he thought that's what everybody else did, and so that's what he did. And he said, boy, I sure needed me a suit. So he went downtown, and he looked in a window, and there he saw it, a suit. But not just any suit, he saw a tuxedo. He thought, boy, if some preachers are sharp in a sharp, sharp suit, how much more would I be sharp wearing a tuxedo? He said it had one of those cummerbunds, is that what it's called? Whatever, one of those deals. <laughs> yeah, you help me out later, okay? And so <laughs> had that tuxedo and said he found not just one tuxedo, but two. He wore one and his song leader wore one. And he said he worked on that message 
And they got ready to go preach at this country church there in Arkansas. And he said, I went over and over that, that message. And he went over that song leading in that tuxedo suit. He said, man, I wish this wasn't true. He said, it sure looked like when we came to town that Heckle and Jekyll had come there to, to <laughs> preach. And so anyways, he, <laughs> he was there to preach. And he said, man, I worked on that message and worked on it. He said, I know that, he said to his song leader, you, you give me a, right after 10 minutes, 15 minutes, somewhere right in there, you give it to me and I'll take it all the way down to noon and, and I'll take it 45 minutes. And he worked on it, had it 45 minutes every time, 45 minutes every time, worked on it, worked on it. Got up to preach that day, got it at just like clockwork. There at, a, at 11, 15 hour, he took the pulpit and preached the whole message and looked up at the clock, five minutes Said he went back through the message another time and didn't even make it to 10 minutes that time. Total. He sat down discouraged and thought, they'll never have me preach again. Maybe I'll not ever preach again. He was supposed to be back that night to preach. He said to his friend, Jekyll, <laughs> we're done. They'll never have us back. Well, they got back that night and he said, you know, that... Uh, Silver-headed deacon pulled him aside. and He said, you know, some of us got together here during the Sunday afternoon. We had a prayer meeting. Listen to this now. This is really a blessing. He said, we had a prayer meeting for you. We believe that God has his hand on your life. He said, among us, we took up an offering, and I forget now how much it was, but it was enough to buy him a tent. And in those days, that was quite a significant thing and a new suit. You know, my uncle needed that. A godly man that pulled him aside and said, hey, we believe you've got potential. We know you preached and you only went about five to seven or eight minutes. Well, he got over that. And ended up preaching, you know, 40 minutes like most do or an hour. We get over that short thing after a little while. But there was somebody that maybe would never be out front but as my uncle traveled and preached and got into high schools back in the 50s and 60s and 70s and preached in revival meetings and people came and people were saved, God would look at the records and say there was a role that that silver-headed deacon had and those other people that prayed for him and said, hey, we believe that God has his hand on your life. Aquila and Priscilla were just like that. They said, we believe you've got potential. You need an education, but we believe you've got potential. You know, I find this about a, a, Apollos. Could we apply this here tonight a little bit? Apollos was involved in ministry even though he had more to learn. You might be hesitant to say, you know, I'm not sure if I'm ready to get involved in ministry. I don't know if I can teach. I don't know everything I need to know. You know what? You know, if God wants you to teach, what you need to do is just start teaching. He'll give you what you need to know along the way. Isn't that true? Those of you that teach, don't you learn from teaching? You know, don't wait to know everything before you get involved. Get involved and let God fill in the, in the gaps. I find this to be true. Boldness and zeal must, though, be coupled with knowledge. If a man is just simply bold and he's zealous and he's on fire, but he doesn't have things straight, he can do more harm than good. 
And so a man who has great zeal needs knowledge. And here's what I found. Bible knowledge does not put out fire. It'll put out strange fire. You know what I mean by strange fire? Fire that's just all emotion. It'll put that out. But Bible knowledge does not put out good fire. It actually is a fuel to that fire. And thus I find that as Apollos got more knowledge, it did not cause him to be less zealous. But now the Bible uses this terminology as he goes to the area of Corinth that he, that he, uh, that he fervently, what, what's the word that it says there of him as he, in verse, sorry, uh, verse number 27, somewhere right in there. There's, uh, no, verse 28. He mightily convinced the Jews. You know what that word mightily convinced means? He overwhelmed them with arguments that Jesus was the Messiah. Getting knowledge did not subside his zeal. It caused it to go up. And so listen, it's good. We, we have here young people who want to serve God. And, and you know, sometimes God gets a hold of their heart at camp and they, they get on fire and, and they want to serve the Lord. And listen, they want to get involved in bus ministry and they want to get involved in children's ministries. You know what we ought to do? Encourage them to do that. Don't say, well, they don't know about the hypostatic union. They don't need to know yet about the hypostatic union. In fact, I guarantee you they believe it even though they don't know what it is. Say what? Anyways... They're straight on and they may be a lot straighter than what they think they are. But listen, here's what they need. They may have a lot of zeal and yet maybe they don't have everything figured out. But what they need is some, some people that will encourage them to, yes, get involved and serve the Lord and fill in the blanks as time allows for that. I can't tell you how many times as I was riding along in the, in the church van as a young person in, in high school, how many talks I had with Brother Carson, how many talks I had with Brother Decker, who's now my father-in-law. I'm glad I listened. And, and how many many times they help straighten me out on some things and sometimes even let me go down and, and, and uh, uh, make some of my own decisions and learn from that the hard way. I needed all of the above. Let's encourage our young people. Help them have knowledge. Let's encourage uh, tonight some Bible college students. They, they come here from all over the country. And you know, here's what I find. We don't have to do a whole lot of motivating to get them out for visitation, which by the way, visitation is not just for Bible college. It's for all of us to be soul winners. But here they come and man, they're zealous. And you say, yeah, but they don't know a whole lot. That's true. That's why they're in college. They need knowledge. That's why they're in college. They've got zeal. Listen, young people, those of you that have come, you've got great zeal. You want to preach. You want to lead. You want to be involved. But here's what you need. To, you, what you need. You need an Aquila and you need a Priscilla. It may be adoptive parents or it may be somebody here that you're learning under in, in a Sunday school class. And you may be tempted to think, I could do better than that. You better humble yourself and be like Apollos. Yes, he was a man that was fervent. Yes, he was a man that was mighty in Scripture. But here's what I find about Apollos. He was teachable. He was humble. And he received the instruction. Even even though he knew a whole lot, he didn't know it all. He was man enough to admit it. And that's what you need is to be humble and not have it all figured out, but come and be teachable. Be teachable.
And I thank God for the students that we have that come. And as freshmen, they don't come with the attitude that they know it all. And I realize that sometimes freshmen can have their own theology going on and think that they do. And that might be the case here and there. I've been in on a few uh, snack shack discussions and coffee shop discussions. And, but, you know, in some of those areas, that's where people learn. This is a great environment for them to learn in. And you very well, church member here at Southwest Baptist Church, you've been here for 20, 30 years. You know who I think that you are? You're an Aquila. You're a Priscilla. And you may not have the public ministry, but you could have the private ministry in the life of an Apollos. And God might do some great things through that person that you maybe wouldn't even know what God's going to do in their life. Yeah. Let's see the potential. Let's see the potential in the young man and a young lady, young family. Well, he was disposed. He was determined to go. Once he heard about the need there in Corinth, he wanted to go. I'm telling you, this was a man of zeal. But he was theologically faithful to the word. Yep. The two are not exclusive that you'd have zeal and knowledge. No, actually, they work in tandem. Yep. He helped those who believed. He mightily convinced the Jews. He overwhelmed them with truth. I just submit to you tonight that... Aquila and Priscilla made a wise investment in this man, Apollos. So here's our conclusion. The ministry went forward and was strong. I'm saying it was improved. Here's why. Spiritual leaders followed God's leadership. Paul followed God's leadership. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to bring the second journey to an end. Uh, Paul, we'd love for you to stay here in Ephesus. Not now. I'll be back. I'll return. God willing. Did you hear what he said? God willing. You know, people can grow under a spirit-filled, spirit-led leader. Aquila and Priscilla followed God's leadership. Apollos followed God's leadership, and people were strengthened because of it. Listen, you don't have to be in the ministry to be spirit-led. If you're saved by the grace of God, everyone in here tonight, that spirit that is saved is to be spirit-filled. That means to be controlled by the spirit, led by the spirit, and the spirit of God is involved in marriages and in family life. In fact, it's not just involved, he's not just involved, he's essential to those things. And we've got to be filled with the spirit every single day. And I believe our kids will grow spiritually as we as moms and dads grow spiritually and lead in a spiritual fashion. The ministry was strengthened by spiritual leaders who followed God's leadership and also did this, equipped the next generation. They equipped the next generation to follow Christ. You're not going to learn everything you need to know all in one setting. It's going to come as you continue to come. You're going to learn that you're an independent fundamental Baptist. You're going to learn that God inspired and preserved his word. You're going to learn that we use the King James Bible. You're going to learn that Jesus is truly God. You're going to learn that, that he was crucified and rose again. You're going to learn that the Bible teaches an unlimited position on the atonement. You're going to learn many things that's going to take some time, so just keep coming. And take an active role in discipling somebody, helping them to be firm in what they believe. Maybe this year God would put on your heart even just one person. That that one person, you could teach them everything that you know as best that you can. Pass on to them what you've received. You know what you've done? 
you've multiplied the effect of the gospel. That's not just the preacher's role or the Sunday school teacher's role. It's everybody's role. May God raise up from our youth department, college, young marrieds, every area, Apollos that would be mighty in scriptures, that would lead in strong ways. And stop the mouths of agnostics and atheists and individuals of that nature that would just overwhelm them with Bible truth. But for every Apollos, there must be an Aquila and there must be a, a, a Priscilla. And that might be a dad and a mom. That may be you're raising up an Apollos or a young lady that will serve the Lord. What an honor, what a privilege to be an Aquila Priscilla and be involved in the ministry like an Apollos. Strong church ministries. That means that we need to follow God's leadership, amen? That means we need to equip the next generation. That's why tonight's youth night. That's why we want them to be involved and to be taught and instructed at every level. May God help and strengthen the work here. Father, we thank you tonight. Thank you for those of Southwest who have followed your leadership for many years. Not just the leaders, as in Brother Harrison and Brother Davison, but Lord, um, godly people who have greeted and who have been Sunday school teachers and helpers, children's church workers, nursery workers, every, every facet of the ministry, God, on and on we could go. Just godly people who have raised families and been an Aquila and Priscilla to somebody. And so tonight, God, I'm sure there are among us those who need some further instruction. I want to thank you for what an impact that a godly deacon had on, on a man that's had an impact in my life and my uncle. And Lord, I just pray you'd help us to uh, take an opportunity to try to invest in the next generation, to equip them to serve you, to speak to them the ways of view from your word more perfectly, that they might understand it in all of its truth. Thank you, God, for those you've recently saved and those that are new members. I, we consider it a great responsibility and opportunity to try to help them along to learn the fundamentals of the faith. We thank you for that. Help us to do an increasingly better job. Lord, help us this year in discipleship as we venture to try to do more by way of one-on-one -on -one discipleship within Sunday school classes. Thank you, God, for the care leaders, uh, those that care for the people in the class and helping them to grow spiritually, creating us a spiritual appetite and hunger for your word, dear God. Lord, bless the bus routes as they bring in individuals that need to grow spiritually. Lord, help those families that came today and help young people that came, dear God, to have a heart for you, I pray. Lord, give us zeal, give us knowledge, and together, Lord, may they make a difference, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.